Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast. So this is Coach's Corner, Volume 8. I had to check with Dallas before we came on um, because I have lost all track of days and years and months. Um, so yeah, so I'm very grateful for everyone that is enjoying the these coaches corners because it's still a little bit nuts seeing where they are. They seem to be the the highest hitting ones when we kind of record them and they're straight up to like, it's a pure vanity metric on the charts and stuff, but the comments coming back and a lot of messages coming in from kind of coaches themselves and PTs, which I never thought that was going to be the angle on it. So I'm very, very grateful for that as well. Senior Dallas, how are we, sir? Good, good, good. There's sun today. Whenever there's sun, I'm a real happy man. Factor 50 for my noggin, um, <laughs> even in the snow. Um, so I think that there's a lot of topics that you guys are asking coming in. So, And I think one of the biggest ones that's kind of coming in, and we're conscious of it as well with the, the, the applications that are coming in as well. So is in relation to kind of how to work with kind of like underactive thyroid and diet. And Dallas is our thyroid uh, guru, um, no pressure. And Dallas is going to talk about <laughs> how to kind of manage your active, underactive thyroid. What is an active thyroid? What is a thyroid? And then kind of talk about kind of like the nutrition elements around it. Okay, perfect intro into that aspect. Um, we're going to kind of start from a hierarchical view of it and kind of like slowly whittle our way down into the aspects. So that way everyone has a little bit of understanding of what only what thyroid is in terms of like the gland itself and kind of the hormones that are in part of it, but also some of the aspects that occur because of, say, an underactive thyroid. So there are many classifications of thyroid. So we've got subclinical, we've got like central and primary and tertiary but we're not going to go into really deep detail into that. Otherwise we'll be here for a lifetime and prefer not to be going down that at the moment. So I'm going to start off some pills. So what is the thyroid? So the, essentially it's a gland that's essentially by your neck. Um, it plays a critical role in regulation of multiple body functions. So if you want to think of it as metabolic rate, your energy expenditure, and as well, we see functions within organs like the heart, right so pretty simple from the next part when we kind of break that down from the thyroid we have an aspect what's known as tsh so this is a hormone known as thyroid stimulating hormone so in the sense of it it's stimulating i.e it's a regulatory hormone for the thyroid and then you break it down into t4 and t3 so t4 thyroxine and t3 triiodothyrene i always get that one wrong <laughs> Was like, but it, anyway, so T4 and T3 are the two main forms of circulating thyroids, hormones. So essentially, you have your TSH, your T4, and T3. When it comes to T4 and T3, we see a conversion of T4, T3 in the peripheral tissue. It doesn't actually take place in the thyroid gland. Everyone's like, oh, it happens there. It does not happen. This is achieved through a selenium containing enzyme. Quick plug on selenium here because we are going to talk about it later on and hence why I kind of talked about this aspect now. So from that aspect, then we kind of go into your kind of thyroid hormone levels. So they need to be tightly regulated. Um, so even since like if you want to look at it, if we see a mild increase or decrease in your levels, right, we're either going to have hypothyroidism or hyperthyroidism. So if you want to look at it, it's hypo over active and then hyper-underactive, right? This is controlled in your HPT axis, otherwise known as the hypothalamic pituitary thyroid axis. I love this hand of it. <laughs> it has a crucial role in maintaining normal thyroid levels. If you want to think of it, it's more of a negative feedback loop. So in a sense that when you are doing, say, your thyroid goes up too much, we're going to see a negative feedback in a sense that we need to lower it down. If it goes too low, we're going to see an activation to try and bring it back up. So majority of aspects within the body work in a kind of negative feedback loop, trying to keep it in that homostatic point, right, which a lot of people kind of forget about. Another aspect upon that is that because of the HPT, the way it actually kind of functions and how it controls the stimulation of the thyroid gland, each person has a genetic set point, which I think is the most phenomenal aspect that we see that there's about, I would say, 
40-ish percent um, factors that change within your thyroid in terms of where your set point is and some of them being environmental factors. So this is why when we see people take, say, thyroid medication, we often see that they don't always feel kind of happy and they'd still feel a bit lethargic. It's because each person has a very genetic dependent um, set point that is within the HPT. Um, another kind of exciting thing about kind of talking about thyroid and aspects is that your thyroid stimulating hormone has a circadian rhythm, which is pretty cool. I is it you have your lowest levels between roughly for most people, it's going to be about four ish to about eight o'clock in the evening when you start seeing a rise around about two o'clock to four o'clock in the morning. Um, there are no differences between genders. So anyone goes, oh, what's the difference? There isn't. Um, and we also see that T3 uh, has about a 90 minute lag behind your TSH. So you can kind of start seeing that there's an aspect of why people will have little blips in terms of they feel a bit better or they get a little bit warmer at certain aspects in the day. And what one of those is thanks to the circadian rhythm of the thyroid. So from that, we're going to talk about in terms of hypothyroidism. So it's one of the aspects of a lot of people always ask about. So hypothyroidism is a state of decreased circulating thyroid hormones. So when the production and the secretion of your hormones by the thyroid gland is impaired, we call this primary hypothyroidism. When the defect is located in the hypothalamus or near the pituitary, it is known as central hypothyroidism. So think of it as the central aspect, it's central to the brain and primary is primary is related to the thyroid gland. So once we, in terms of that, so the hypothyroidism, we're just gonna kind of blanket it from there. So. In hypothyroidism, we often see a slowing down of body metabolism. Um, we often see a lot of symptoms, which is reduction in thermogenesis, a low metabolic rate. We often see appetite decreased um, and a little bit of weight gain, but majority of the time weight gain is due to water and salt retention, not actually just fat gain. Um, it can occur with weight gain, and that's usually because of calorie surplus. Um, when you want to look at other things that we see with hypothyroidism, what we end up seeing is uh, the thyroid hormone regulates cholesterol. So we see that total LDL cholesterol is increased, while HDL um, and your triglycerides are slightly, only a little bit increased. Um, other aspects we start to see um, will be in cardio, which I think a lot of people don't recognize, is that we get an increase in pulse rate. Um, your cardiac output is decreased. So your ability to do something in more cardiac aspect um, can decrease. So we often see a higher diastolic hypertension, um, but we also see because of hypothyroidism, we also see a decrease in exercise tolerance. So some people cannot train to the same extent as someone who doesn't have hypothyroidism. So it's something to often think about that you're not over pushing yourself or you're not going right i'm going to go do a high intensity workout now because like that is what's burning all calories and that's in inverted commas because it's not but you're pushing yourself in a position that you momentarily might not actually be able to uh, deal with other aspects we find with someone with hypothyroidism is constipation this is the most common you know it, the most common seen aspect when it comes to digestion aspect is going to be constipation other aspects are muscle weaknesses <laughs> cramps, um, you often see dry skin, mouth, brittle nails. So it's, there's quite a lot associated with it. Um, I think another aspect of it, uh, which I think is a, a big aspect when it comes to women is that there are different patterns of menstrual disorders that are associated with hypothyroidism, like oligomenorrhea and hyperamenorrhea. Um, we also see the small reduction in fertility um, as well as small increase or small increase in um, the risk of abortions with hypothyroidism. So it is something that is like often need to be thought about if someone is trying to conceive. Um, so when trying to make like things a little bit easier, kind of give everybody a bit of a recap of what we talked about is just so TSH, so thyroid stimulating hormone, stimulates the production of secretion of thyroid hormones. You have T3 and T4, which are your two main thyroid hormones. Everyone has a sweet spot for their optimal thyroid production. And hypothyroidism is a state of decreased circulating hormones. So 
when it comes to this and the deficiencies and how it works in the doc. So some of the common deficiencies with hypothyroidism, the first one being iron. So iron is one of the biggest well-known causes for hypothyroidism. Um, we often find in a lot of many countries. So a lot of countries have started to try and supplement or increase iodine concentration in the likes of water or products. However, if high amounts of uh, iodine is given to people who have hypothyroidism, um, we end up seeing that the excess causes hyper. So it's a switch, right? Very interesting. It's called uh, Jodes Basedow. Jodes Basedow. Still have to work on the pronunciation of Sounds that Sounds like Joe's pesto. <laughs> if Joe had good pesto. Joe had good pesto. Um, on the other end, if you have like uh, the presence of excess amount of iodine, so say like you have too much iodine there, um, we can see that there ends up having a limiting up uptake of it. And then you can end up having a result in hypothyroidism. So it's like iodine is very, um, a big aspect of thyroid. Um, too much is going to be a problem, too little is going to be a problem. So it's always trying to ensure, obviously, you balance that. So a common easy aspect is like, you know, get some seafood and that does help. Um, another aspect um, for deficiencies will be iron deficiencies. So it often lowers thyroid output. So always ensure that your thyroid, uh, or should say iron, is topped up and actually in a good position. We'll also see selenium, which if you have low selenium now, that means that you're going to be more or should I say less efficient at converting and kind of breaking down the thyroid to where you need to so that if you remember from the beginning that was the plug it was like selenium is a big aspect in how we actually kind of create and break down thyroid um, hormones and then loss of all kind of zinc so those are you're going to see the common deficiencies within the practice in terms of your uh, hypothyroidism so now when it comes to diet i think we've gone over quite a bit there when it comes to diet, majority of people are going to be on um, your T3 or T4 combination. It depends on how they go through it. When it comes to diet-wise, since you're on medication, it kind of brings you back to normal realms of a working thyroid, right? Which means that you can follow practices just like everybody else. In terms of, I know, previous podcasts, we've talked about rates of weight loss. Kind of you've talked about that as well. So it's like when we're talking about that, it's you can follow the same points of weight loss. But things do note is that we talked about the deficiencies, so you need to make sure your deficiencies are there. Other aspect is fiber and a good amount of omega-3s is going to be a big aspect in diet, as well as ensuring you're getting vitamin A because it helps with TSH. So it's like a diet can be suited around your lifestyle, but you do need to have a little bit of an understanding of what is occurring inside your body and go, right, am I deficient in anything? Do I need to ensure anything is topped up? And then you just apply the simple diet rules before. I think covered quite a bit there, didn't I? Yeah, you've covered loads there. I think one of the, the big the big questions on it is in relation to if someone thinks that they may have an underactive or overactive thyroid and that they're kind of expressing symptoms, what's the best way to kind of get a full a full blown diagnosis? Because I think I know from myself when I've had clients before and said they've self-diagnosed themselves with underactive thyroid and saying, oh, I can't lose weight because of X, Y, and Z. And then you can kind of say to them in a nice way, it's kind of like, well, have you been tested? And they've self-diagnosed yeah. themselves and they haven't necessarily gone through the, is there a best way or what is the best way to go and get an actual proper diagnosis? Uh, blood test, you'll get a TSH assay it's literally the best way of doing it and you can kind of go through that you can get a full blood test and you can look at all other aspects because there are going to be quite a lot of like differences in terms of like um t4 ratios to t3 ratios or your tsh ratio but the quickest way of doing it is getting a blood test going to the doc get it done and then those results will then give you the straight up do you have hypothyroidism or not most people, when they have fatigue or a little bit of dryness, usually comes down to having not enough iron in the diet or not having enough water. So they're like, oh, I've got dryness skins. I feel a bit irritated. I feel fatigued. It's hypothyroidism. Instead of going, right, cool, I need to get some water in. I need to look at my iron. Let me look at my diet as an aspect. Um, so that's one thing. TSH, I say, get it done. What about kind of training around it? Because obviously with energy levels and you've spoken about the likes of the iron and that can have a massive impact on fatigue. Is there other elements to kind of 
be mindful of when you are training or is it kind of same practical advice that we kind of recommend to kind of like well if you're tired like just take some chill time yeah it's definitely going to follow that aspect but also a part is you're going to have to be conscious about your cardio aspect to training but you've also got to have to be a little bit understanding that your recovery might not be as uh good as someone who doesn't have it so that's something you can think about in terms of it. I try to get people to stick to the basics, work on the basics. If you feel tired, take a breather. It's okay. Kind of take your water in and build yourself up over time. We don't need to be going in with high intensity. We don't need to be going in with a lot of sets and reps. It's like take steps by steps, those steps and see how the body feels and adapts. And then from that aspect, go on there. Some people can go in with a lot more of our terms of intensity in the workout, more sets, more volume, because they've been working out for a longer duration of time. And it all is very person-dependent on that side of things. But the basic rules do apply. Okay, brilliant. And I think that there's loads of information. So I think people, like if you think you may have it, will go get bloods done for an actual proper, proper diagnosis. Uh, there are, like, there you can you can still get to your goal with it. It just just being mindful of your energy levels and all that kind of stuff. It's the exact same practical basics that we kind of apply with with all clients. It doesn't matter what they have. It's kind of like you're better off just kind of slow and steady wins the race with whatever you're doing. Yeah. And I think what we spoke about in previous episodes in relation to kind of self-empathy kind of has to come into it as well. Like just because you've got something like thyroidism or hypothyroidism, whatever it may be, or an undirected thyroid, like, there's, you, can't, you can still get to your goal, whatever the goal is. Yeah, I think a lot of people want to. It's because it's, oh, we know it's reduction in metabolism. So it's like, we yeah. know that's one of the things. That gets but, attached. Yeah, it's like, oh, look at those two things. Let's go to a point that it's going to drive a, a lower body weight. So we're going to take a crash diet to do it. So it's like, you're already fatigued. You're not feeling great as it is. You know, there might need to be tweaks within your dosage. You know, that is something to think of, but you're going to go put yourself in a position where you're going to diet and we know diet reduces your TSH, T3 and T4. We know that it's been shown countless amount of times. So it's like, so we know that it's going to be lowering a little bit. So now you're putting yourself in a position where not only the stress of a low calorie diet is going to be a problem, you're going to have a little bit lower as well, um, hormones floating around. So that means another change with medication. It's just like you're putting yourself in a position where, you're kind of between a rock and a hard place and you're not really pushing yourself on that. And that's like, that's something to think about. But like one note on the diet there, I just literally remembered there when taking medication, if you are going to be taking your medication, make sure that you take it at least an hour before your food in the morning. So um, yeah, better absorption. You have nothing stopping it. Just one thing that for some reason, not everybody knows, but if you can take it at least two to three hours cool if you can take it an hour before perfect it's just make sure you at least get it into the system before having some form of food yeah i think i think there's a hell of a lot of information there so if you if you're not unsure of what uh dallas has kind of mentioned and stuff please go back and, and listen to it and make sure to kind of consult with your gp and doctor and stuff on the whole aspect of it yeah. um and the next kind of things that are kind of coming in regarding like I know when this is going out, I would have already done the um, female fat loss webinar. So hopefully people have enjoyed it, but we'll see. Um, I think one of the things that's kind of coming through from DMs and stuff is in relation to acne. And I know I spoke about this with Ashley O'Kelly at AOK on Nutrition, but I think I'm going to talk about kind of from a natural perspective and also a post-pill perspective because there's different things that need to be brought into it mm. so with acne kind of like both estrogen and progesterone are generally good for skin so that's why you kind of have or ladies can have clear skin during the middle of the cycle when those hormones are quite high you may then notice more acne during your premenstrual time when those hormones drop so you can you can still want to improve acne by supporting progesterone by stabilizing estrogen with the treatments that I'm going to mention in a sec. Acne is almost kind of never about issues in your progesterone. Instead, acne is almost about kind of other underlying issues such as insulin resistance for those with PCOS and elements of that and for those with PCOS and inflammation. So conventional treatments kind of include the likes of pill, spiralactone, and Accutane. And from someone who suffered from acne all the way through teens, 
uh, just be mindful that some of those treatments can have issues on mental health and stuff like that. So be do make sure to check in with your doctor on those elements of it. Um, there are some other elements in some of the treatments and some of the meds that I've just mentioned, they're can, they can cause depression, IBS and osteoporosis. Mm. So please do look at all alternatives with your doctor, whoever you're working with to check on that side of things. So some of the stuff that kind of can be Help, helpful and effective for regulation of acne um, in relation to for PCOS post pill acne or otherwise are one is kind of reduce your sugar now I'm not telling you to kind of quit sugar completely because that's not going to end well that's where a lot of people have get migraines that's where a lot of people get issues with food and all that kind of stuff it's being mindful of the amount of sugar that you're intaking this would be to reduce a hormone called insulin growth factor or IGF uh, one is the perfect storm for acne because it increases sebum, keratin, and inflammation. The one that we kind of talk about is avoiding or limiting cow de- cow's dairy. So if you were someone when they were a kid that had um, throat or ear infections quite a lot, there could be some element of lactose intolerance, but it doesn't mean that you're full on lactose intolerance. Yeah. It could be just that it's danger in the dose. So just being mindful of that. That doesn't mean that you can't have the likes of, say, goat's, uh, sheep or jersey milk and um, you could you can have those or you can go for nut milk and all that kind of stuff uh, if you're allergic to nuts don't go for those but um in relation to to according to a study in 2005 i think i'm going to go for nurses health study women who drink less milk or or are less likely to suffer from acne so it's being mindful of that um obviously you can still have some like like ones that kind of don't really inflame the gut and all that kind of stuff that i've mentioned mm. before the other one thing that people underutilize, which I think other people utilize in general with acne or no acne is kind of the massive effect of a massive benefit of actually addressing digestive issues. Um, so acne can be caused by stomach and acid deficiency and SIBO, SIBO, and other digestive problems that may mean avoiding a common food sensitivity such as gluten or eggs. But don't go and self-diagnose yourself with celiac disease go and talk to a dietitian and work on kind of like a FODMAP diet and food elimination diet and introduce it back in. That would be the best practical advice on that because if you self-diagnose, it's not going to go very well. I would highly regard uh, talking to a dietitian on that side of things. I think we also need to look at kind of like a histamine intolerance, which is the condition of excess histamine. High histamine foods include fermented foods like cheese and some of those can worsen acne. Um, Mm. I think kefir is one of those as well. Um, So zinc is a great treatment for acne. It works by reducing carotene and therefore keeping pores open and also kills bacteria and reduces inflammation and lowers androgens. It has done well in several, several uh, clinical trials. One of the other ones is berberine. So this is a natural antibiotic, so it kills the bacteria that causes acne. It also reduces inflammation and IGF in one clinical trial. Acne improved by 45% after just four weeks on berberine. Uh, But there are a couple of warnings with berberine that it may not be safe for long-term use. So please do not use for longer than eight weeks. Do not take if you're pregnant or breastfeeding. Check with your doc if you're anti on, on antidepressants, beta blockers, antibiotics, or immune suppressants. So there's we have to keep putting out these informations and warnings and stuff for medical advice because if we just get say this is the sweeping advice for everyone, it is someone's gonna get hurt and we don't want that to happen. So yeah. please, please, please make sure to check in with your doctor. There is another one called DIM. Uh, which is a phytonutrient. Um, And this comes from like the likes of broccoli. Um, And that could be an element of it as well. Um, With post-pill acne. So with post-pill acne, um, if you're kind of one of kind of the clients that has kind of been on the pill for a while and you kind of come off it, you may get a thing called PMS, which I'm going to talk about later on. And this could be a brand new thing to you. So when you go on the pill, it can, your PMS more than likely stops because you've been ha- you're you're having real cycles now for the first time and you haven't been really doing that for many many years. Your pill cycles were associated with fairly even kind of it was bringing in synthetic or artificial hormones or into your body either through estrogen or progestin, not progesterone. People always forget that it's actually progestin uh, for some of the the, the, the different. Um, pills that are out there so if you didn't feel much of a change day to day your real cycles on the other hand are a side effect associated with a natural up and down of hormones and you have to adapt to this this may take a little bit of time for you to get used to and may lead to getting more questions if as if a real period can cause this so one of the questions that kind of comes is well why am i like if a, if a real period is doing this to me why do i want the real period 
And you're kind of like, well, you have to look at overall health. And that's one of the things I'm hugely trying to push uh, and educate on is, well, the the main answer would that be it's giving you your hormones for overall health. So you avoid osteoporosis, osteopenia, sarcopenia, brittle bone syndrome, so that you can actually function when you get a little bit older. I know a lot of people are using it for contraception and that's completely understandable. But for overall health, when you're when you get older, that could be more beneficial for you, uh, particularly if you're kind of in the range of having kids or whatever it may be. Um, the hormones are hugely, hugely important for overall bone health. Your your own hormones, estrogen and progesterone, are so beneficial that they're kind of worth put, putting up with for a little bit of PMS. Girls are going to come back to us now and say, guys, you'll never understand what PMS is. And that's why I brought Jane in. No, but... <laughs> No, but I think we'll, let, we'll, like, we'll never understand it from a, a psychological point of view. We can read as much research and physiological stuff, but we can never understand from our heads. Like from dealing with clients, everyone's different. Everyone have different severities. Everyone have different things. But PMS does not need to impact your life too much. It, it can respond incredibly well to treatments. So with coming off the pill, you may have the likes of post-pill acne. You'll probably feel better when you stop hormonal birth control, better mood, more energy in regular cycles. But then you have the other side of things that you may feel a little bit worse. Uh, you may Your mood may go down a little bit. It depends. Every girl is different. Mm. So with the kind of post-pill acne, the steroid drugs and hormonal birth control work extremely well to clear acne. Both the synthetic estrogen and the progesterones uh, strongly suppress sebum. Um, it's also called skin oil. Uh, so which is the non-technical term in fact some hormones suppress sebum to childhood levels which is a bit unsettling when you think about it adults are supposed to have some sebum and they're meant to have a lot more than children in response to the drugs your skin has to to upregulate sebum and that upregulation upregulation will continue uh, even once you stop the pill the result can be more sebum than you ever had before so it's being mindful of that at the same time coming off the pill could trigger your ovaries to temporarily, temporarily make more androgen as they kick back into action. So post-pill acne is a result of a double whammy of a rebound of sebum. And it's as you withdraw from a sebum suppressing drug and rebound androgens as your ovaries become more active. So it's a double whammy. I feel like doing your man from Anchorman. Whammy. Um, fortunately, your ovaries should also start to, t- to make the hormones estrogen and progesterone, which are both good for your skin. They are awesome. So post-pill acne typically peaks after about six months, it's when you just might be ready to kind of give up and get frustrated with the whole process, but at about six months. So please allow for about six months. If you're prone to acne or if you've suffered from acne for the last time, you tried to stop the pill, please start natural treatment uh, one month before you start the pill. This should reduce the severity of the actual post-pill acne. Even with the best treatment, uh, it can take up to six months to improve. So you have to make sure that you are being patient on that side of things. Please remember call it, um, coming off, off a pill like Yasmin can cause a post-pill acne that worsens for six months before it starts to actually get better. So hopefully that makes a lot of sense. So the stuff with the kind of nutrition stuff is kind of like the likes of reducing your sugar, the likes of kind of reducing your dairy zinc can help with the elements of it as well kind of like addressing digestive issues being mindful of kind of like berberin and the the stuff there but there there are there are ways to come to come off it properly but just being about being patient and being saying to yourself and being mindful of like check in with your doctor check in with your uh your gynecologist or whatever it may be um and just kind of being mindful that it can take a little bit longer yeah, no, totally agree. I think it's just a big aspect. It's we want a quick fix. We all want a quick fix. Yeah. Um, we all want a quick fix and whatever we're doing. And I think with that is a very nice lead in. I see what you did there. Great seed, Mr. Dallas, uh, <laughs> regarding kind of the other element of kind of like <clears throat> when people kind of talk about training and Jenny on Q&A is like, I don't share half the questions that kind of come in because there's an, an awful lot of overlap. And the biggest question is like, well, I should be doing hit. Should I be doing resistance training? Should I be doing CrossFit? Should I be doing running? Should I be just being whatever it may be? And one of the questions that kind of came in that I thought was intriguing was the best rep range for weight loss or fat loss. Mr. Dallas rant. (laughs) There is none. There is none. There is none. <laughs> the aspect of it is everyone wants to, how did I say, attached to an ideology that there is one perfect way of doing things. There is one perfect way of dieting. There's one perfect way of looking at the world. There's one perfect way of building muscle. 
when in retros aspect or retrospective uh look it there is none you can build muscle from rep ranges from one all the way up to 100. Not that anyone's actually gone to 100, but majority of people stop in around 20 to 30 reps. Sets the same. So it's like looking at it, it's bringing more of an aspect of holisticness or an understanding of your body. What can your body truly recover from? And this is what very few people actually understand. What you do in, in the gym, what you do at home is a stressor. It's like you don't need the gym to build muscle. Everything is an aspect of stress placed on the body. The muscle grows because it is a stress placed on the muscle and the body goes like, right, if we are going to face whatever this is happening on the outside world, because the muscle doesn't know what's happening on the outside world, it goes, right, we need to build some muscle. We need to get stronger. We need to make it bigger in order to sustain whatever is happening on the outside. And that's how the muscle grows. So it's essentially we need to place a stressor on the muscle, whether that be going hit, whether that be weights, whether that be high volume, low volume, it's very independent of the person. But one aspect that a lot of people don't bring into account is the sum of stresses. So I want to do hit, I want to diet, I've got a terrible um, sleeping pattern, I work a lot, I've got kids, I don't eat good enough for my thing. I've got someone always calling me. I have friends nagging me. I've got the impending craziness in the world that's going on. And we got, right, I'm going to go do some high intensity work because that's going to help me. It's like, well, maybe a walk would have been beneficial for you. Or maybe doing something more low volume and kind of working on form would have actually seen better change in your body because it's not so much of a detriment. It's not pushing you over the edge. But everyone wants to believe that training needs to be grueling. Training needs to make you sweat. That if it don't have this ability, you know, to do it, then it's not working. It's like, well, it is. I want to think about all the changes that occur from when you were a kid to now. I mean, you haven't noticed half the changes that have happened. It cements itself over time. You look back and go like, oh, wow. You know, from the age of zero to eight, you had a massive growth spurt, but you weren't there every single day going, oh, look, look what's happening. It's like amalgamation, the compounding of this. So it's trying to set everything in motion that there is no perfect rep range. It is have a little bit of everything, train a bit of strength, train with a little bit of less kind of pump work and add a little bit of pump in there if you want. If you like high intensity, do high intensity. If you like CrossFit, do CrossFit. I think this has been the most calm rant I've ever done. <laughs> I don't like it. It's unnerving me. I think there's a I think there's a burst of energy gonna come out of you saying, but I think what you've said there about like kind of like if you want to do hit, do hit. But if you're if you're doing hit or training, whatever it is, running, whatever it is, because I think I can see a lot more people when I'm out for a walk or whatever, you can see a lot more people out for runs just to kind of get out, which is amazing to see. But if you're kind of nonstop and you're kind of like under fueling yourself, not sleeping, stressed to the hilt, and then you're sore after every workout, you're under recovering there. You're not giving yourself a chance. You don't need to. And we spoke about missed workout guilt. I think there was an awful lot of messages coming back in after that, mm. um, that they were very surprised that so many people were going through that, if you know what I mean. They thought it was just themselves. Like we can't out train ourselves out of COVID. And I think that's a huge element that we're trying to work with our clients on is walking still counts as exercise. Yep. We don't burn as many calories as we think through exercise. Your fit, your Fitbit on the amount of calories you burn is not accurate. It does not predetermined for you. It's not uh, kind of personalized to you. So if I wore the same watch as Dallas or Dallas wore the same watch as me, it would be probably equal the exact same. But Dallas has a little bit more weight on him. That's not a dig at Dallas, uh, but he's a he's a big, he could be fitter. He could there's it doesn't take those factors into it, and the margin for error. I've spoken about this when recalibrated bodies were on the podcast, in that the the the, the studies from Stanford or Harvard that there was a twenty percent margin for error on the total calories burnt on those watches, and that the most that was on the most successful one, they were the most accurate one, and that was the Apple iWatch, but. There's massive discrepancies on all of them. They're not accurate. They're not accurate for your sleep. They're not accurate for your recovery. They're not accurate for your heart rate. So that's just adding more digital metrics to bring in when you should be just like, right, I'm going to train this amount of times. How am I feeling? What you do on average is going to get you to where you want to go. I think like another aspect of it, which a lot of people don't do it. What do you actually want from your training? 
So everyone's like, oh, I want fat loss. It's like, no, 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 that, that, that's, that's independent. You know, they're not inextricably linked here. You've got your diet doing the work there. We want to know what do you want from your training? I want what to get toned. You, yeah, you want to build muscle. Sweet. What do you need to do for that? So it's like I need to provide a progressively a progressive overload over time. So that means like I need to be doing things either more reps, more volume, more intensity, or more weight, which is a factor of intensity in a sense. So it's like you've got to look at it from the whole aspect of going like you need to decide what you want. And like you and I both see this. It's like so we're going to make a new program. It's been your six to ten weeks depending on roughly how we lay out a program. And go like, so are there aspects you want to work on? The person's like, uh, anything and everything. And you're like, well, I can give you jumping off like, you know, boxes for the sake of it. You know, we're going to see a progression there. I can make you stand on one leg and like make you slowly squat down for a pistol. Or like, we're going to see progression and change there. But what is it that you actually want to see? And it's a lot of people go like, I want to build glutes there. And I was like, perfect. That means you need to be actually targeting the muscle. You need to go through the movements. So it's like all these things need to be kind of worked on so that way you can go through that. But it's like people don't recognize this aspect. It's like, I just want this without a little bit of thought into the bottom aspect. And as soon as you do that, you realize actually how your training needs to be staggered. So it's like, I prefer being a little bit of a higher heart rate. I feel like I want to get a sweat from my workouts. Then, you know, cool. You can go to the higher end range of reps. You know, you can have a little bit less rest. Your person is like, no, actually, I like sitting down and listening or reading something between my sets. You're like, perfect, a little bit of strength training works. So it's like if you pair it to what you want and what your lifestyle is like, you can change and chop train to how it actually helps you is something probably most people should be looking at. But hey. I think – we're all susceptible to wanting to go for the quickest fix. Like what is the best form of training, the best form of exercise, the best, whatever it is. But if we solely base our goals off that, it's kind of like basing or building a foundation on matchsticks. It's going to fall. The house of cards is going to fall. So we also need to take into fact the unsexy stuff, which we've spoken about several, several times. Well, like if you're not sleeping and you're trying to do hit five times a week, one, your body's not going to recover. Two, you're going to be sore. Three, your sessions will be shit. And then you'll get frustrated and want to give up. Like HIT has, and it's incredible to see like the likes. And I I, lo- I started off doing Joe Wick, so I have nothing against the man at all. I think he's I think he's fantastic what he's doing and PE yeah, with Joe and got everything. It's got, he got a nation moving during a shit time. And I said, I, was, I said, cook his recipes on a daily basis. So like, I have nothing against the man. I know some people do, but it's, his is a form. It's not, it's not the only form when people want to get toned and all this kind of stuff, which is called build muscle, like resistance training would help CrossFit would help all that kind of stuff. But I think it's about real, like as, as Dallas has said about kind of digging in a little bit deeper and saying like, what do you actually want out of your training? What do you actually want out of your self? What do you actually want out of your goal? Like, as you said, do you want to build glutes, which is fine, but are you prepared for the patience of it? Because building muscle is not easy. Building muscle is not a short-term solution. Like if you're signing up with a coach and you haven't trained ever before you'll be you'll 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 probably get pretty decent results in whatever amount of time it is but if you've been training for three four five six plus years and you sign up over 12 weeks your muscle gain isn't going to be huge it may stimulate muscles that haven't been hit before and they may pop but it's taking into effect like going for a quick fix while you are absolutely wrecked from the stress and tiredness and kids running into a wall, like, isn't going to end very well. Nope. Uh, I think you and I both see it the whole lot of time. And it's also, I think, another aspect of training, it's internal intent. Like, are, are you showing up to truly train or are you just showing up because you want to tick a box? I think a lot of people can... And I know I've been there, so I'm speaking for myself. I'm not 
uh, talking for anyone else. I know when I've previously had probably my first coach, maybe I was like, all right, I'm, this is going to get the job done for me without me having to show up. But that was my, my, my naivety on myself. Didn't really know what I was doing. And the coach can only guide you to the water. You've got to drink it and kind of like, yep. like put in the work. Like we can only guide to a point. And then if you're willing to kind of like show up a little bit more, well, then you will get to where you want. But if things aren't going right and the behaviors of kind of like slipping back in into old habits and stuff, you've kind of got to said that's a little bit easy to kind of go back into them. And you kind of right like, stop, pause, look, listen, like the traffic code, <laughs> little hedgehog running across the road. Um, but I think like, I know myself that, that, that I'm just speaking from my own, like no one's going to do, and we're not talking about like it's stress, 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 train, 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 pump, pump, pump. That's not what we're saying, but you're going to, you're only kidding yourself. If you're saying I'm going to train six days a week and you've never trained before and you're better off saying, right, I'm going to go for three or four walks. I'm going to train twice this week or three times this week. That's a lot more than you've been doing. Yep. And your body will be sore for a little while afterwards, but your body will also thank you for not trying to run it into the ground. Yeah, like an easy aspect as well. That like I try to bring with those that are kind of a little bit more, kind of a little bit frightened in a sense, or a little bit uh, uh, unsure about getting into the training aspect. It's like pick one exercise. Doesn't matter what it is. You're going to do it once every two to three days. You know, if it's nice and easy, you can do it every day. It doesn't matter. And then next week we go, right, you can add a set to it or you can add another exercise. What would you like? And as the weeks go on, you build them into a program, but you kind of go, how does that feel? No, I, I prefer doing more of this. Cool. Now we do more of that then. So it's like you can build it into your life. And this is what you have to do. It's like if you want to see some of these amazing changes within your body, within your mindset and everything, you need to change the, your outcome, change your environment, change the way you see things and change how you do the very things you do. You mentioned doing more of this. I think that's a, a kind of one of those sentences that I think someone may latch on to. It's like, right, I need to do more work. The nutrition element is going to be the biggest element that's going to get you the results it's not, and that doesn't mean go 1200 that doesn't mean 1300 it's i fucking hate those calories um it's you need to do a little bit more of getting a little bit more regular meals in getting your sleep having a little protein or veggies with every meal that's what we need to do more of it's not about i need to sweat myself into a bit of obliteration or whatever maybe or oblivion yeah. and hustle 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 that's not what it is the biggest difference is the element of the food, the element of the recovery. Because if you think about it, if you've got, if you're training for say half an hour out of 24 hours in a day, that's not going to outdo 23 and a half hours. That's as bro as I'm going to go. But that's ultimately the truth. Like half an hour in a day isn't going to stop you doing other things outside of it. If your sleep and shit is, is not on, if you're stressed all the time, if your behaviors potentially aren't there, your foundations aren't there and you're picking and stress eating or whatever it may be. And these are weird times. Like I'm not, I'm not saying that we're immune to these. We're definitely not. Um, but it's about saying, right, what's going to be more beneficial doing six sessions, sweating myself to, to a bit of, to oblivion, or am I better off saying, right, I'm going to go for walks and focus on that from my head this time. And I think that's been a massive epiphany for some of the clients recently and moving away from cardio, 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 and just actually saying, no, hang on, this isn't sustainable for me long-term. Yeah. It's like make the unsexy sexy. The things that very few people want to talk about, that's the stuff that's actually going to see quite a lot of change within you. It's also going to see, like see profound understanding when it comes to this. It's like, it's why we talk a lot about like the mindset and how we see the world. Because it's like a lot of people don't want to talk about that aspect. And that's what really drives a lot of your changes and a lot of the things that occur, whether you are going to make success or not. Yeah. Um, I think massively. And then when we were talking about stress and anxiety, and one of the topics that I spoke about an awful lot on the uh, webinar, um, 
was in relation to kind of like the PMS. And I don't think a lot of people realize how much stress, energy, sleep, all that kind of stuff kind of comes into it. Mm. Um, I think PMS is has a taboo attached to it. And I think um, I think it needs to be kind of lifted because I think it's very difficult for lads to understand if the girl doesn't understand her body. Yeah. Um, and then that's when kind of tension can happen. And like, it's, I'm not having to dig at girls for that. It's, as I said, and Dallas has said, like we're never going to stand from a psychological point of view, but I think we need to understand what actual PMS is. Uh, it's a collection uh, of physical and emotional symptoms that start, the, it can start the week before or around your period. It can happen in ovulation, it depends. And it can make some people feel very, very moody. It can make them feel a little bit more bloated, a little bit more achy. Mm. For some people, it can cause mood swings leading up to their period. And this kind of involves kind of unexplained change in mood, snapping at kids, snapping at someone at work, whatever it may be. You might wake up in a great mood. But then you also might find yourself being angry and irritable an hour or two later for no reason. So some of the emotional symptoms of PMS can include sadness, irritability, anxiety, anger. Um, and then there's two other kind of related conditions that can also make you feel moodier before your period. And one of them is a thing called PMDD, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder. So PMDD is very similar to PMS, but its symptoms are more severe and tend to involve a lot more emotion for, for, for some it causes intense mood swings uh, with that interfere with daily life. While recent research estimates about 75% of women have PMS during their reproductive years, only three to 8% have PMDD. Hmm. Premenstrual exacerbation is the other one. And this refers to, refers to when symptoms of an existing condition, including anxiety, bipolar, or depression become worse in the weeks or days leading up to your period. About half of all women who receive treatment for PMS also have either depression or anxiety. So we need to understand that if you have PMDD or premenstrual exacerbation, please go and talk to a mental health professional. Please talk to a mental health professional. So why does PMS actually happen? So experts aren't sure about the exact cause of PMS, but it's likely linked to hormonal fluctuations that happen during the second half of the actual cycle. So ovulation happens about halfway through your cycle. If you are on a regular cycle, you're not on the pill. During this time, your body releases an egg, causing estrogen and progesterone levels to drop. A shift in these hormones can lead to both physical and emotional symptoms. Changes in estrogen and progesterone levels also influence serotonin levels. This is a neurotransmitter that helps regulate your mood, your sleep, your cycle, and your appetite. Low levels of serotonin are linked to feelings of sadness and irritability, in addition to trouble sleeping and unusual food cravings, all common, very common PMS symptoms. Mood swings are one of the most and most severe PMS symptoms. So how can we manage this? I've spoken about it already. We need to track your cycle. So like with the journal, yeah. like with uh, Kandara, the likes of um, Clue, Clue please track your cycle. So go back and listen to the previous episode. Recognize your different seasons and your winter. Winter is coming. I know a few people sent uh, a few messages in about that. Uh, if you don't already, keep start tra keeping a track of your menstrual cycle and your emotions throughout the different stages. This will help you to recognize any trends that are happening in the mood swings and see if they act are actually linked to your cycle. Knowing there's a reason why you're feeling a little bit more moody can help things but put things into perspective and offer some sort of validation which can lead to self-compassion self-empathy having a detailed log of your last few cycles is also really handy if you're going to the doctor this will show that the documentation of symptoms might help you feel more confident and actually kind of not that you need to build a case but it can show you having the kind of the know-how and saying, right, this has been happening to me for a while and going in with the basics and actually building a case study about yourself on it. You can track your cycle from different apps. Look for one that allows you to add your own symptoms. You can also make a chart and mark off on little tabs and put it in X where you're feeling your symptoms, list your symptoms on the left-hand side of the page, mark off on an X and whatever it may be. So you need to make sure that your, like, your cycle is your report card. You need mm -hmm. to make sure that you know when it's happening, list your symptoms and take each one as you kind of recognize what week that it may be happening. So some of the symptoms that, are, that you may be having are sadness, sudden unexplained changes in your mood, crying, irritability, poor sleep or too much sleep, 
uh, trouble concentrating, lack of interest on your daily activities, tiredness, low energy, hormonal birth control can also be uh, a, a symptom that you may need to change or, or go on. Hormonal birth control methods like the pill or patch can help with bloating, tender breasts and other physical PMS symptoms. But for some people, they can also exacerbate emotional symptoms, including mood swings. So please do check in with your doctor or your gyno. But for some others, they can go route and can kind of hinder them or they can kind of make them a little bit worse. Um, with the pill, um, the one that is probably the least harmful emphasis on least harmful um it's probably the marina <laughs> talis just chuckled at me least harmful uh marina iud um so there are some natural remedies that we can bring in and i'm all for natural remedies over supplementation because if we can get some natural remedies it will be huge so i've I mentioned vitamins and stuff that we can talk about but one of the things you can do is if you are on your week before or your week off you may need to have a little bit more food. So the reason for that is because both estrogen and serotonin have dropped away, your app, which are appetite suppressants. Once they drop away, it will increase your hunger and may increase your metabolic rate, which is your metabolism. So this can imp- impact on your sleep. So you may be hungry anyway. You may need to increase your protein. You may need to book in naps. You may need to reduce your sugar. You may need to look at kind of trying to get regular exercise in kind of 30 research shows kind of getting walks in or whatever, maybe 30 minutes of regular exercise, reducing the amount of sugar and, and kind of that side of stuff. Don't cut them out completely because that's not going to end very well, but working on your, your elements of your uh, hunger signals and science saying, is it head hunger or tummy hunger? If it's tummy hunger, address the emotion. Cravings have shown in research that they go away after 20 minutes. While I'm working with some of the girls on, especially the new starters, is having a notepad beside them. So that they're sitting at their desk and they're kind of like, if they've been pottering around, one of the things is, right, write down how you're feeling. Wait 20 minutes. And if you're still having that feeling, address the issue or address the emotion. And then if you have addressed it, then by all means, go and eat. But if it's literally just boredom meeting, address the boredom. If you're hungry and it's proper tummy hunger, by all means, go and eat. If you're hungry, eat. But more often than not, people aren't necessarily hungry. Hungry, Not getting enough sleep can huge, hugely impact your mood as well. And so I think like 30% of girls around ovulation week or going into the week before can have a massive impact on their sleep and they can their sleep quality and um, that can drop, especially in the week up, uh, weeks building up and that can have a massive impact on your mood. So some of the symptoms or some of the treatments that we can bring in through supplementation are the likes of magnesium, 300 micrograms per day of magnesium glycinate, uh, vitamin B6, 20 to 150 micrograms per day in divided spaces throughout the day, zinc, 300 micrograms per day after dinner, the reduction in dairy, um, Vitex, I know I've spoken about Vitex before, uh, follow the instructions, but take it, if you have PCOS, take it fasted, stop it five days before, after each period or before each period, so I say before each period, I have to say that again, before each period. Uh, iron and fatigue may be linked also, so please go and get your bloods done. Thyroid, which Dallas has spoken about already. Iodine can help as well for breast pain, but if you have thyroid issues, iodine is a huge, huge impact there, which Dallas has spoken about. Reduce booze, reduce booze, reduce booze. This is one of the things that if your mood is shit already, it's not going to help. And if you're irritant, irritable already and you're waking up the next day feeling like you hadn't slept and you're having drinks and stuff, drink's not going to help. It's going to exacerbate the, the issues. Stress is one, like unmanaged stress can worsen mood swings. Even one simple big deep breath in can have a massive impact. Meditation or yoga can help. Yoga Amora is the person I always refer to. Laura Farrington is the one I recommend for, for kind of like the meditation side of things. But people are like, I'm going to turn into the Buddha. You're not. Um, in relation to the last little bit is medication. <laughs> if other treatments aren't helping, an antidepressant, an antidepressant may help, but you have to go to the doctor to get this. There are selective serotonin reputate, uh, reputable inhibitors or reputate inhibitors, SSRIs. They're the most common type of antidepressant used to treat PMS-related mood swings. 
but doctor has to be linked in. Do not prescribe them yourselves. SSRIs block the absorption of serotonin. This increases the amount of serotonin in your brain. Examples of SSRIs include Selexa, Prozac, Paxil, Zoloft, other antidepressants that work on serotonin might also help treat mood swings are Cymbetala and Effexor. But you must work with your doctor on your dosage plan if you feel you have PMTD or uh, if you have PMS or whatever it may be. They might suggest that you only take the antidepressants during the two weeks before your symptoms tend to start. But in other cases, they might recommend to take them every day. So that's why it's so, so important to link in. Oh, yeah. Look at what, the, if you track and you're finding a common theme if you, and you have that those file notes or case notes on yourself, then that would be give you kind of like the, the case study or whatever it may be to go to the, the doctor and say, this is happening, this is happening. But you're better off trying to get to the root cause, work through through lifestyle first, if possible, where possible. But if you are going down the route of medication, please link in with a mental health provider. Your gynecologist might be the first person you turn to when starting to notice mood swings before your period. It's important that you trust the person that you're talking to or working with, particularly if the symptoms are bad. Um, If your doctor is not listening to you, if your doctor is giving you advice that you may not be comfortable with, get a new doctor. Yeah, I agree with that. There actually is one thing I would probably. Now, the efficacy is still being worked on, 5-HTP, so yes. precursor to serotonin. So it is an aspect. Now, we're still looking for a lot of reputable studies to quantify whether there is an actual change or whether it's more of a placebo change. So hopefully in the coming years, we will know definitively if around PMS 5 HTP can work. But once again, talk to doctor in terms of that. You could try to use carbs to boost your tryptophan and boost tryptophan to boost serotonin, but you're playing a fool's errand on that one. Yeah, especially if you haven't got an amazing relationship with food and carbs and stuff. Like, I'm going to put out a fact about carbs. This is my fact of the day. You ready for this? Oh, this is going to be good. If carbs were bad for you, then why do... Why do Japanese culture have the lowest obesity rate in the developed world when their diet is 54% carbs? Mm. Mic drop. Yeah, so carbs are not bad for you. So like if carbs are bad for you, that wouldn't work with the element of the Japanese diet and stuff. That doesn't mean to cut out carbs. That doesn't mean to just eat carbs. It's about finding what works for you. I know myself, I work better off carbs. And while other people may work better off fats and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's about playing around with that. I played off the fats thing um, and I just felt a little bit sluggish. Yeah, but I think it's a lot of people don't have a little bit of exploration into that. I think no, but you have to, like, I, as, um, like if you're, if you're, if you've kind of struggled with your, your, your fitness journey so far or whatever, maybe you may not have the, and I, I wouldn't have done that unless I've kind of done the proper research and all that kind of stuff. But it's been about, potentially trying it out um, and even saying to your coach or as your coach tries to do different things or there's kind of ramming down an ideology down your head saying carbs, 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 fats, 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 whatever it may be. Um, mm. Like there is no perfect macro split. It's about what works for you. Um, like if you've 2,000 euro, it doesn't matter if it's made up of five euros, 10 euros or 20 euros, it still adds up to 2,000 euro and that's going to be the biggest factor. But like, so stop trying to aim for a perfect macro split. Stop blaming carbs. Stop blaming things. Look internally. Be here, be now. Great album. Um, so, yeah, so I think we've spoken about loads. Uh, thyroid stuff, the training, nutrition, how to get a diagnosis. We've spoken about acne, best rep range, weight loss and fat loss. We went off on tangents on training, which we didn't. I knew that was going to happen. And then we've spoken about the elements of PMS, how to kind of manage it, natural remedies nutritional remedies kind of the ideology of kind of like report card going to the doc medication finding support but it's a like it will come down to like looking at and monitoring the whole aspect of kind of like your your body and being able to understand that so there's loads of information so guys if you've enjoyed the episode at all please do tag us up on your story 
please continue to share it up on your story. The more people that see it, the more we can get on, the more guests we can get on, the more views that you guys can do up on iTunes. We may do something uh, for that. Dallas has come up with an idea, so I know I'll talk to him half off air. But the amount of guests that are coming on, um, the quality of the guests that are coming on, I told Dallas beforehand, um, it's they're going to be epic. Uh, but Rats, Dallas, you know, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, DM Dallas, he'll tell you um, if you can remember. Um, but Ooh. Ooh. Uh, he's on, yeah, he's on a diet at the minute. So, uh, in relation to yeah, so guys, thank you for listening, Dallas. Thank you so much for coming on. I think we have Jane on the next one. I hope. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think we Jane on the next one. So, if you want stuff to come in for for that, if you want if you want particular topics uh, for Jane to talk about and stuff, um, let us know if there's any kind of like female health aspects from a mental side of things that Jane can help with around like that, please do send them in. So keep sending the questions, keep sending questions in on the Q and A's. That's generally where we're getting the information from on clients. So um, yeah, thank you so much for listening guys. Don't forget to share. I will know that you didn't.